What's going on, everybody? Happy Thursday. Welcome into Bet to Win in the Blue Wire Studios, the Win Las Vegas. I'm your host, Joe Fan. Nick Dayus, my guy back east in New York, coming on to talk NBA playoffs and UFC 274, a loaded UFC card. But first, I've got a victory lap to take. My fourth in a row. Count them one, two, three, four. And as much as it pains me to say it, because it was the Astros beating my Mariners. What a, just a putrid series from the Mariners. The Mariners scored two runs in three games. They got shut out in back-to-back games the first time in three years. Very, very obviously reminded that the Astros are still their daddy. So the upside was that's why you email hedge and that's why you make money on the pain and suffering of your own teams. Uh, the Astros won comfortably. And the Mariners are sliding now back under 500 as much as it pains me to say it. Speaking of baseball, I need to say this, and I don't want to spend a ton of time here because I want to get to the NBA and I want to get to Nick, but I'm ready for robo-umps. Like, ready. They could come tomorrow, and I'm ready for it because I'm sick of spending every night looking at baseball conversations around the country that are centered around Look at this joke of a ball strike call in this big moment and this player losing his mind in the Kyle Schwarber situation where he says, "Use Angel Hernandez, you suck inside. You suck outside. You suck uh, low. You're missing high. You suck for our team. You suck for their team. You just suck comprehensively. And it's not just Angel Hernandez. It's almost everybody. And it's happening on a daily basis where there's such a microscope on these umpires. And I get it. The job is hard. You know what? and just remove them from the equation. The technology exists, and it's time to implement it. On top of that, I just don't have much empathy for a group of people who are so uh, regularly indignant and outwardly just pricks, to use a PC word that's not going to get me in trouble. I mean, just look at Wednesday night. Uh, Madison Bumgarner is tossed in the first inning of his game against the Marlins, pitching for the Diamondbacks. And they do these hand checks. You know, they, they check your hand for sticky substances. And I love they do that. They had to get the foreign substances out of the game. Mad Bum comes over. And you see these on, it's, it's right before games go to commercial break. And the umpire comes over and pitcher reaches his hand out. And it's like a quick, that's it. It's like, oh, yep, no sticky stuff there. Cool. Have a good one. Good luck the rest of the way. And I know some of the video that's been put out there is it's like Bally Sports who broadcast D-backs games, put it in slow motion. But this umpire is like caressing Mad Bum's hand and like looking at him in the eye, like baiting him into a reaction. Well, he gets the reaction. Then Mad Bum gets tossed. It's just ridiculous. The ump show is such a tired act. And too often, too frequently, we are discussing how an umpire's decision impacted in that bat late in games and most uh, more often than not hurting batters. It's hard enough to hit major league pitching. When guys are going upper 90s and then an 89 mile an hour slider that moves two feet, you know, it's already a prayer for so many of the sitters that try to hit this. Then you give pitchers two inches in any given direction off the plate, it comes damn near impossible. I just don't get it. There's no having human error in the game for the sake of having human error in the game doesn't make any sense. So bring me the robo-umps. Uh, in the NBA, 
So far, this round two has been a bit of a snooze. We've got a couple of series at 2-0, a couple of series that are at 1-1. On Tuesday, the Celtics bounced back, beat the Bucks 109-86, dominated that game. Both of these games have been blowouts. Uh, Jason Tatum, 29-3-8, also a huge game from Jalen Brown, 35-6 on 11-18 of 18 shooting. I don't know how much we learn from these two blowouts. These are two really good teams, two of the favorites to win the title, one team the reigning uh, NBA champs. And I think in one game, you had one team make threes, particularly from a supporting cast. And in the next game, you had the other team make threes and get a ton of contribution from their supporting cast. It was Drew Holiday and Bobby Portis in game one for the Bucks. It was Jalen Brown and Grant Williams in game two uh, for the Celtics. Marcus Smart didn't matter that he was out with the elbow injury. Will he be back in game three? Not sure. But now you have one star player out for each team. This is going to be a great series. It probably does go seven. I think if you're looking at, if you're a Celtics fan looking for a reason for optimism, the defense showed up in game two. Giannis was two of 12 at halftime, but I don't know how replicable that performance is against the, grace, the, the best player left in the playoffs in the reigning finals MVP. So I don't know what we've learned other than this should be a fun series and you hope at some point the blowouts turn into close games and you get the drama in addition to a seven-game series. It's sort of the worst when the games, your series goes six or seven games, but none of the none of the series or none of the games within the series are that good or competitive down the stretch. Well, there's a series. It was like the Cav, one of the Cavs Warriors finals. It went six or seven games. I don't even know if that's the one. The Cavs won or the one the Warriors won, but every game was decided by double digits. It seemed and those are always a snooze. So um, hopefully the drama comes in Milwaukee for game three on Saturday. Um, the Grizzlies also evened it up at one. John ja Morant, 47-8-8 eight eight as the Grizzlies beat the Warriors 106-101. Dylan Brooks ejected after a flagrant two, uh, breaking Gary Payton's elbow. An ugly foul, likely will get suspended. Uh, also, Draymond Green, what was a very physical game, Steve Kerr, uh, letting the TV broadcast know it was dirty, not physical. Um, and also the, the quote that went viral after the game saying Dylan Brooks broke the player's code. You never go out not necessarily trying to injure a guy because Dylan Brooks would tell you he wasn't trying to injure someone. I believe that. But putting another player in a compromising position to even open the door for a serious injury like the one that occurred to Gary Payton II. Um, Draymond Green, though, got stitches. I love Draymond, man. I can't get enough Draymond. I know he's done some shady stuff whether he's sort of, again, towed the line of sportsmanship and that code that Steve Kerr talked about. But, you know, he's getting all this flack on different, you know, from different national talking heads. You know, he's given the double birds to the Memphis crowd um, as he's going in to get stitches. And later he's talking about how, A, find me. I make $25 million a year. I'll be fine. I'll do one appearance and make up that money. What a flex that is. And then B, if you're going to be awful to me, I'm going to be awful to you. You're booing me as I'm leaving the floor with blood gushing down my face. Yeah, those Delo birds are warranted. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, the Warriors were just 7 of 38 from 3. It's 18.4%. Yikes. It does make me believe. I just don't know how much we can count on that formula for success being replicable with Jaw going completely nuclear, nuclear putting up almost 50 and the Warriors not being able to shoot from three. 
the series odds reflect that. The Warriors are minus 340, Grizzlies at plus 270, uh, whereas the Celtics and Bucks also a 1-1 series. The Celtics, at minus, Celtics are only at minus 125, so very short dogs with that series tied at one. Nobody in Vegas giving the Grizzlies a chance to win this series. Again, plus 270. If you like them, live dog in the series. Plenty of value there. Um, and then on Wednesday, a couple more blowouts. The Heat just dismantling the Sixers without Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid should be the MVP. I know the votes are already in, but this to me solidifies his case. They have been lost without him. James Harden, I'm not sure I've ever seen the, the shine wear off a star as quickly with an elite franchise player, MVP player than I have with James Harden. He's either apathetic or cooked or both, but he's been terrible. 20, uh, 20 points on six of 15 shooting is unacceptable. And I, I don't want to go too hard on James Harden, but at the same time, when you go into the postseason and say that you don't feel pressured, you have nothing to prove, then you deserve all the smoke coming your way for absolutely flopping in this series. Uh, the Suns beat the Mavs 129-109. This game was close until about eight minutes left. And then Chris Paul cooked Luka and Devin Booker hit a handful of dagger threes. And this game got out of hand quickly, which when you look at this game, even if the Mavs are hanging around, there's only one team in this series that's a blink of an eye away from a 10-0 run. And that's the Suns. They just have so much more firepower than the Mavs. And when they start hitting shots, the Mavs don't have the firepower to match them. And that's what you saw in the closeout moments of this game. Uh, live game odds for Friday. It's also silly we don't have games Thursday night. Taking the day off. The NBA on a hiatus on Thursday before returning on Friday. Not with the games that were on Tuesday, but with the games that were on Wednesday. Suns at Mavs. That's a pick em in Dallas. Total set 219 and a half. And the Heat, minus one at the Sixers. A total of 210 and a half. The Heat lead that series 2-0. It feels like not only are those lines banking on kind of that narrative that, that teams down 2-0 coming home, at least cover the first half, but potentially win the game outright, but also in that heat minus one, that to me feels like the books are already baking in that Joel Embiid might be back for that game three in Philly. On Saturday, game three, the Bucks minus three against the Celtics, total of 213. Uh, and then Warriors minus six and a half against the Grizzlies, total of 226. Both of those series tied at one. Uh, again, your updated series odds. Uh, we got two of them here for you. Celtics at minus 125, Bucks plus 105, Warriors minus 340, and the Grizzlies at plus 270. Let's bring in my guy, Nick Dias. He's the host and founder of the Veterans Minimum Podcast on Blue Wires Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick Dias 10 Nick, how we doing, sir? How's everything back east? Everything is cool, Joe. Good to be back on with you. We got a big fight weekend. NBA's rolling along. Exciting times. Huge pay-per-view card in UFC 274 this Saturday. But first, I've been talking NBA. I want to get your thoughts on these round two series. So far, it's been a snooze in my book. You've got two series complete or two games complete in all four series. Miami's up 2-0. Suns are up 2-0. The Celtics and Bucks are tied at one. Uh, and the Grizzlies and Warriors tied at one. Real quickly, I want your thoughts on each. Let's start with the Miami Heat up 2-0 against the Sixers. Joel Embiid might come back in game three as he comes back from that concussion and orbital bone fracture. Are they done? Is this series, is it going to be a sweep? Is it going to be a gentleman's sweep? Um, and then on top of that, what the hell's wrong with James Harden? Is he cooked? 
Well, I mean, James Harden in particular, this is this is what we get with James Harden this time of the year when it comes to the playoffs. It's not usually he this is, bad, though. Ah, man, I'm He's telling you, I've spent, so much, I've spent so much time and money, Joe, on James Harden <laughs> in the playoffs. He has cost me a lot of futures tickets. This guy, this is his M.O. When the going gets tough, he just shrinks in big spots. Go down the list, even going back to Oklahoma City, Houston, the times that they were up in series, just, you know, the 40-point loss in game six at home against the Spurs. It, it's just, this is what happens with him come playoff time. So not, not too surprised on that. As far as this series goes, look, you take away Embiid, who is going to finish with the MVP or top two MVP candidates this year. It's a huge loss, and he was probably going to have a monster series against Miami. Played really well with them the la- against them the last couple of years, and Miami just took care of business. No Embiid, you don't got to worry about him, and they have a lot of depth. And I think the big revelation, Joe, is Oladipo. Man, I've always been an Oladipo guy, and him coming back, giving you what he's giving you. He closed out the game for them last night, and granted, they were up double digits throughout it, but I always look at what's you know. It's the 5-5-5 deal, right? Like, who's your starting five in a game five, down five, right? Like, what's going on? And there's five minutes left. So, and he's out there for them. I know it wasn't a game five, but that's kind of like the scenario I like painting in my head when I'm talking about these crunch time lineups for teams. And it's kind of been, you know, I'm pretty sure Miami covered both games too against the spread, and it's just been dominant. Uh, Miami just has too much depth right now and no one beat is massive. Yeah, it changes things when one team's bringing Matisse Dybul and Furkin Korkmaz off the bench and the other team is bringing Victor Oladipo, who you said, a little bit of a resurgence, but this guy, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he's been an all-star, if not a 20-plus point yeah. score um, and a borderline star in this league before his run of injuries and Tyler Hero, the sixth man of the year. Just different story. Uh, the Suns are up 2-0. This, to me, the Mavs are a good team who every offseason they continue to fail to do enough to put uh, a cast around Luka. Luka's still not good enough when he's not ball dominant and getting other guys involved. Um, this didn't, I think, at the end of the day, the Suns are a team that can go nuclear at a moment's notice. I mean, you blinked last night in that fourth quarter. And it was a 20-point game. Are the Mavs able to get one here? Yeah, I think Luka's good enough to steal one at home. I'm looking to take them at home in Game 3. Um, I know both of these series that we just touched on. Game 3, first half, I like taking the team down 0-2. That's just one of the trends, Joe, that I like betting blindly in the first half, not for the whole game. I believe we had four scenarios in the opening round, and it went 3-1. and one. That team down 2-0 in the series coming home from Game 3 in the first half. Uh, the Fans are excited about it. They come up, they come out hungry, and they know that, you know, this is this is a must win for them, right? Because no one's come back down 3-0. But I think Luca, he's good enough to steal one game. I, I do think they play better at home than they do on the road. And Phoenix, you know, because Booker got injured, I think, Joe, and the Pelicans took him to six games, people are off the Suns. Um, and in the this is a 60-plus win team. They were the only team this year to win 60 or more games. That's like elite territory. So they're good. They just had to battle back with the Booker injury. He seems fine now too, facilitating a lot more than he's done in previous series with the Suns. But I, I just think it's too much. It's too much. And the Suns should win in five at at worst. I agree with you. I think the Mavs, are, again, are a good team, not great team. And it's, it's wild to me. My takeaway is 
going back to the Jazz that we clowned on so hard in round one, lost two of three to this Mavs team without Luka. Luka, yeah. If there's not a, a bigger reason to blow up a roster, I can't, you know, I can't help you. Things are going to be changing in Utah. Celtics and Bucks. Bucks blow the Celtics out in game one. Celtics blow the Bucks out in game two. Did you learn anything from the two games that, that weren't close or competitive? No, I kind of think it was how I expected. I thought they would split in Boston. Um, they they need Middleton, though. I think if they had Middleton, it, it would have been a more favorable series for the Bucks. They could still win this series, but I think this is a... I think this series goes seven. Giannis and Tatum are doing what everyone expects, but you know, you're getting contributions from Jalen Brown drop 30 in game two. And to me, for as good as Drew Holiday is, he, he just shoots them out of games, too. Like, he even last year in, in the playoffs, he would have these like seven of 24 from the field or six of 19. And it's like, you know, when you don't have it, try not to shoot your, your teams out of games. Uh, that's the old Russ, Russell Westbrook used to do that all the time. It's like the worst thing that would happen, Joe, to Russ led teams in the playoffs is he hits his first three of the game. Cause then he's like, oh man, I'm feeling it today. And then, you know, he ends up with like one of 12 from the field. So I think this series is going to go seven. It's the one that I think is, Probably the toughest series, like it was very low scoring in game two and tough from the standpoint of a lot of physical fouls, a lot of tough play. You got scrappy players too. And the Celtics, they need, they need Marcus Smart out there. I think he's a, he's like the heart and soul of that team. I, you know, so to me, that's, that's the things that I'm looking for. You want to talk about a physical series. Warriors Grizzlies has certainly been that and more with Draymond Green being ejected in game one, Dylan Brooks being ejected in game two for a foul that took Gary Payton Jr. out of the series. This to me, the, I know that the Grizzlies got one back. It felt sort of lucky in that, yes, jaw went nuclear, almost put up a 50-burger, but the Warriors were so abysmal from three. I just don't see that happening anywhere near that in terms of what that clip was in game two when they return home. Do the Grizzlies have a prayer of stealing one in Golden State? Because right now, if you look at the series prices, uh, books aren't giving the the Grizzlies a chance. They're plus 270 to win the series, even though they're tied 1-1, uh, and the Warriors are minus 340. Compare that to the Celtics at minus 125 and the Bucks at plus 105 in the same situation, tied 1-1 with the lower seed going home. Yeah, man. I think them dropping game one, Joe, is going to haunt them. Uh, they should be up 2-0, I think, because in game one, they outshot the Warriors from three. They beat them at their own game, which no one does. And Draymond Green got kicked out at halftime. That's a game you need to win. And that's where I feel like the experience level, that's gut check time. That happens with Milwaukee. If like Tatum gets ejected in a game, they're taking that game. They're not dropping a game of that magnitude. And I think that's where you see the experience coming in. Clay has not been shooting that well in the playoffs. No. He, he shot two of 12 from three. The one thing that if I'm a Memphis fan, or a backer like I am because I'm financially invested in them in the futures market. I think Ja cannot be guarded by anyone on Golden State. So I think he'll have another 40-point game in this series and he's going to be able to do what he wants. Now you need some more from Bain. Bain did not play well in, in game two. But Jaron Jackson finally had a good game for himself too. He had eight rebounds and 12 points. That's Jared Jackson is a guy who people are talking about him getting a max contract. Like this is a kind of series where you need to be that X factor because you know what you're going to get from Ja Bain. Yeah, he had a bad shooting game, but 
for the most part this year, you've relied on him. I just think that it's going to come down to late in games. These young teams, late in games, they, they seem to tighten up a bit. You don't see that with Golden State. And Jaws is an exception. He's the only one on that team that wants it. And those clips of him saying he can't guard me, he's right. There's no one on Golden State that could guard him. I know the second that we released this podcast and this conversation, the announcement, uh, the decision on Dylan Brooks, whether he not, whether or not he will be suspended, will come out. But that hasn't happened yet as we were recording this on Thursday morning. Should he be suspended for the foul on Gary Payton Jr.? I think he will be suspended. I don't think he should, but I think the fallout of him hurting his elbow and he's out for, I think it was four or five weeks. And then Steve Kerr's comments, you know, a lot of times these coaches, they plant that seed, right? They say it out there like, oh, you know, he should have been ejected or not Bro- ejected, but he, he should be suspended. Code. It was, a, yeah. That yeah. was the, so the, those the things line are, that went viral. Right. So you plant the seed there. So, you know, the next time there's a hard foul, they might take it a little bit further and give a flagrant of some kind. So I think he'll probably end up getting suspended. That's what, you know, I, I would make that, you know, like a like a minus 200 favorite that he gets suspended. Yeah, suspended. at least one game, I would agree. Uh, let's right. shift gears yeah. to UFC 274 this Saturday live from Phoenix. Let's begin with the main event. Charles Oliveira minus 180 against Justin Gaethje at plus 150. Round set at one and a half, which means nobody thinks this is going the distance. How much are you looking forward to uh, to this matchup? Joe, this matchup in particular, this is if you want to get somebody. Do you look? You could just see your eyes get bright, man. When we start talking UFC, man, and especially when you have a headliner like this, like this is this is the fight that you tell your friends, "Hey, come over the house. Let's go to a bar. Get your plus ones. Let's have a good time. Let's watch this fight in particular because these two guys are probably one and two best finishers in the UFC." Justin Gaethje has more bonuses than he does fights in the UFC. And Oliveira, 10 straight wins, nine of them by stoppage. And both guys get pieced up. Charles Oliveira in his last two fights, one was for the title, the other one his defense against Poirier, got dropped and looked like he was going to lose, get finished. Comes back, finishes both guys. Gaethje... Uh, there was a quote from another guy, Joe Lozano, who's on this card. He said, he's willing to set himself on fire just to burn you a little bit. And I think that's the greatest quote or analogy to describe Justin Gaethje and the way he fights. This is going to be an absolute bar fight, Joe. 150, or sorry, yeah, plus 150 for Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira minus 180. It is nice to see. These are about as even of odds as we've seen, not just on any UFC card, but even the main events we've seen it. Favorites at minus three, four, five hundred. Do you have a pick with this one that, that you like and where you know have you have you put any money on it yet? So this fight in particular, based on what you said about the over-under, no one's expecting it to go too far. This is Gaethje by knockout, Charles by submission. Uh and and the way the the tail of the tape, the way this fight should go is Gaethje's actually an all-American wrestler. But you would never guess that seeing him fight because he likes to brawl. He likes to put on a show. Now, Oliveira, he's probably the most technical fighter in the UFC, Joe. If you can make an instructional DVD set on how to throw a strike or a hook or shoot for a takedown, just show them Charles Oliveira. Everything is clean, comes from the pocket. He is an amazing fighter. He's still young, too. He's been in the UFC since they used to have the sponsors in like the late uh, 2000s. 
Now with this one, it's Oliveira. He's an all-world jiu-jitsu guy on the ground. So betting him at plus 138 right now on win bet by submission is probably how I would approach this. And then Gaethje by knockout at plus 210. But the, the, I mean, the absolute lock, I think. And I don't like using that L word, Joe, because as you know, in sports betting, there is no such thing. But you, if you got some money, you want to lay some juice, minus 500 that this fight does not go to distance. I think it's a, it's a great parlay piece. If you don't know who you're going to pick, throw that in there. It's, it's as close as a share thing, I think, on this card. I love it. Uh, the co-main is Rose Namajunas at minus 220 against Carla Esparza uh, at plus 180. That total is set at four and a half rounds. These two fought way back in 2014. Obviously, that was a lifetime ago. But I'm curious if if you still think there's any value in that fight. Um, and I think one interesting, just when in reading up, and again, I'm by no means the expert. I just come with a couple talking points to toss to you. But Namajunas has been an expert at avenging losses. The two previous uh, fighters that she has lost to, she has then beaten and avenged. Uh, and this would be a third opportunity to do that, even though that first fight was back in 2014. Uh, she is a huge favorite in this fight. Um, how are you handicapping this one? Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is a rematch from the Ultimate Fighter season finale where Esparza beat her by submission. Late, I believe it was in the, uh, the third round that she got the stoppage. And, and you're right. She avenges. Rose is probably my favorite fighter to watch in all of the UFC. Just from a technical and stylistic standpoint, everything is so crisp, so clean, so fluid. And Esparza, she's been on a little bit of a run now. She Rose has kind of cleaned out the division. There's no one left for her to fight. Esparza, because of the built-in storyline that she has a win over her, that's why people are selling it. I think that Rose is undervalued. I think she should have been north of minus 300 in this fight. Betting her by points or via decision at plus 170, that's how I see this playing out. Carla's going to shoot for takedowns. Rose is just going to do the point fighting. I see this being like a 50-45 decision for Rose on Saturday. If you were going to make or put together a power rankings list of fan favorites, I remember watching that fight. I'm pretty sure that was here in Vegas, her last fight. And... The entire crowd is losing their minds over Rose. I mean, she had the weight of everyone in attendance behind her. I'm curious, would she be in the top three or top five in terms of just like comprehensive fan favorites, no matter the division, no matter the sex? Where and where would I'm just out of curiosity, where would you put her? And then what would the list be? Yeah, I think I think if we rephrase that a little bit from a fan favorite or someone that people don't dislike. Like, you know, a guy like Connor is very polarizing, right? Some people like him, his bravado. Some people can't stand it. But from, you know, Colby Covington, the same way. Now, if we're talking about consensus fans loving them, yeah, she might be number one. There, you're not going to find someone that dislikes Rose Nama Yunus. Yeah, you might bet against her. But, you know, anytime she grabs the mic, she has grown men in the audience crying. She gives out all these, like, she's so emotional. She's crying when she gets the belt on her. She's talked about mental health. She's talked about so many things that are kind of out of character for a UFC fighter. And, you know, anytime I, I watch this fight and uh, I watched her last fight with my mom, Joe, and she's like, oh my gosh, she's beautiful. She's, she's amazing. Like, she's so kind. And then 
my mom sees the head kick and she's like, oh my gosh, she's an animal, you know? So like she has that aura about her that makes her special. And I think it's going to continue for her. She's still young. She's not 30 yet. And she's probably number one on that list, Joe. Who would be number two? <sighs> number two. Hmm. That's a tough one, man. I would probably say, you know, Oliveira might be that too. And I know it might be a cop-out because he's on the same card, but Oliveira is another guy who at, at times he wasn't like that, but now everyone just respects him and no one says anything bad about him too. Uh, let's talk about the Michael Chandler, Chandler Tony Ferguson fight. Uh, Chandler, a minus 375 favorite. Tony Ferguson at plus 285. This is another one that I don't know if anyone expects this to go the distance. Certainly, uh, Vegas does not. The total set at one and a half rounds. This is a fight of two guys going in the wrong direction, which to me, everything I, I see and hear and read is that they expect this fight, every both fighters to put it all on the line to put on one hell of a show in Phoenix. Uh, Chandler has lost two in a row. Ferguson has lost three in a row. Ferguson's career sort of hangs in the balance now at 38 years old. Um, do you give Ferguson a shot? And will this fight deliver on the expectations and the fireworks that are expected? Yeah, there's definitely going to be fireworks. It is a fascinating matchup. There's a lot of heat between the two of them. Tony Ferguson famously said that Michael Chandler has Dana White privilege because he came over from Bellator and sort of got an immediate co-main event. And then from there, his next fight fought for the title. I think only one other person has come in and got a title shot that soon. And, you know, Tony Ferguson was a guy who had won, I believe, 11 straight fights. And he never got a chance, Joe, to fight for the undisputed title when Habib had it. He had the famous, you know, he stepped on the cables on fight week and Ariel Hawani tweeted out on April Fool's Day, April 1st, that the fight is canceled because Tony slipped on cable wires. And everyone was like, Ariel, you can't do this. He's like, no, this is really what happened. That fight has been booked, Joe, five different occasions, all five times canceled. So this fight in particular, the one thing I'm looking for, Joe, I think Chandler is rightfully so the favorite. Both of these guys, yeah, they're on losing streaks, but they've lost to guys that are going to fight for the title or champions right now. Yep. Tony after round one, I think might be live. Tony will probably be, Chandler might be minus a thousand after round one. If Tony could survive that storm, his cardio is, is his biggest asset. I am 100% going to in, in bet Tony at like plus 600. And I, the way I would bet this fight, though, Joe, is is Chandler inside the distance by knockout because you're not going to submit. You're not going to submit Tony. Charles Oliveira had him in a hundred different submission attempts. He didn't submit him. He's a all world jujitsu guy, tenth planet guy, one of Eddie Bravo's people. So I think Chandler, if he beats him, is by knockout. Tony has had a lot of wear and tear on him, and Gaethje stopped him on his feet when they first fought the first fight after the COVID restart back in 2020. But I think Chandler inside the distance by knockout or Tony is absolutely live after round one. Okay. Let's review uh, Nick's card. He's got Oliveira by submission, Gaethje by knockout. If you're adding a parlay card or putting one together, that fight under the distance, inside the distance uh, is a lock. That's your free square uh, per Nick. He also likes the, uh, Nama Yunus by decision and Chandler by knockout. Anything else on the card that you like that you're adding? Nah, these three fights, man, are the ones that I'm really looking at. It's uh, it, it's good. It's, they're calling it the people's main event, which I, I don't agree because I think the main event is also the people's main event, but 
it's three very exciting fights. Back-to-back UFC cards, Joe. Uh, UFC pay-per-view cards. They're giving us a, a pretty stacked card top to bottom. And, and the three main fights that they're spotlighting are going to be pretty dope. Nick, the NFL draft was last week uh, before I, I let you go. I want to know if you had any major takeaways from what happened over the course of those three days. Um, and any team that, that noticeably got better and any team that noticeably swung and missed uh, during the draft here in Vegas? Well, I mean, being from New York, it's very weird to hear everybody's consensus be pro Giants and Jets leaving the draft. Uh, no one has said anything bad about both of those sides. As a Giants fan, I just hope that Thibodeau and Neil sign a second contract with the team because the Giants haven't been able to sign a first round pick to a second contract in, I think it's like 15 years now, Joe. Um, the only two guys that they did that with was Odell and JPP and they traded them before the second contract even kicked in. So that would be a nice building piece. I didn't understand Trayvon Walker going number one. Anytime you're drafting a DN at number one and one of the key things he needs to improve on is rushing the passer. It's kind of a red flag for me. He had to move positions at Georgia because he couldn't beat out the other guys in front of him. Granted, one of the guys was Jordan Davis, who also went in the first round to the Eagles. That's kind of a head-scratching pick. Uh, the way, if I was a GM, I would build my team by finding a quarterback, protecting him, and then going after theirs. That's the three ways I would build my, my franchise. You got Trevor Lawrence. Offensive line is pretty bad. I feel like I would have probably taken an offensive lineman at number one. So those are the two that really jump out to me if if I'm being honest with you. Yeah, it's such a Trent Baalke pick. And I, I covered the Niners for a couple of years. My first two years there, he was the GM and he was the all upside lottery ticket guy, particularly as it pertained to guys coming off of ACL injuries. Like, oh, he's coming off an ACL tear. I'm getting a three round discount on this guy. And I, I don't know if there was a single hit of the group, but there was a, a token ACL pick every year, but also guys where... You know, he would go off the beaten path because he saw metrics and upside that wasn't necessarily mm. there on the college tape. So it's it. I agree with you. It's confusing that he made that rise number one, especially given his college production, his limited college production. But then you realize Trent Bulk is the GM, and it makes so much more sense. Um, have you bet any NFL futures yet, uh, or are you waiting for the schedule to come out here in a couple of weeks? Before I make any bets on futures, I need the schedule first, Joe. Uh, when it comes to team futures, what do you I need, need to, to see? Because I need to see when you're playing who. We know who each team is playing. We just don't know when they're playing. And I think that's very important because the, the example that I've been going with is the Chargers. Right now, I would say that's my pick to win the Super Bowl. I love everything that they've done the last two years. Justin Herbert, everyone knows that's my guy. I've already bet him at 10 to 1 to win the MVP. That's different as far as like the player. But when it comes to team futures, Say hypothetical, the Chargers open up with Green Bay at Baltimore, Chiefs and Raiders. Well, that's a pretty hard first month of the season. They're at 16 to 1 now, Joe. Maybe they come out the gates 1 and 3, and I could get them at 25 to 1. And then the rest of the schedule is you have your Jaguars, you have your Vikings, you have your Giants, whoever it might be. I need the schedule first because I need to see when you're playing certain teams. There was one year, I believe it was the last Rex Ryan year, that the Jets played a murderous row of quarterbacks coming out the gates. It's like the worst quarterback they played was Matthew Stafford. It was Breeze. It was Peyton on Denver. It was Brady twice. And it's like, before you know it, they were one and seven. Your season's over. So to me, I never make any futures bets, no divisions, no win totals, nothing, until I see when you're playing who. 
I love it. This man can talk about everything. I love our conversations. He is Nick Dayus. Follow him on Twitter at Nick Dayus10. He's the host and founder of the Veterans Minimum Podcast on Blue Wires Network. Nick, enjoy the card this Saturday, man. I can't wait to talk about it soon uh, with more UFC fights, more NBA playoffs, and the NFL schedule coming around the corner. Thanks so much, man. Always a pleasure, Joe. Awesome stuff. Big thanks again to Nick. Give away some money, get a winning pick, and get out of here. Our Bet 50 Win 200 promotion is still rolling. New WinBet users can receive a $200 free bet or $200 in free bets. Important caveat. After they make their first qualifying deposit and place their first bet on WinBet, once that first bet is settled, you will receive four installments of $50 free bets. Just go to winbet.com or download the WinBet app for official rules and details. Winning pick time. I'm 1-0 in May. Plus 0.67 units going for five in a row here on our winning picks. And I'm going to continue with the chalk. Sometimes it can be as easy as betting good teams to beat bad teams. And there has not been a team worse than the Cincinnati Reds. The most profitable bet in all of baseball so far this season is betting against the Reds, not just the money line, but also the run line. If you are a $100 better, and you decided to bet against the Reds on the run line every single game, you would be 18-6 and six so far this season and up $1,200. If you bet them money line against them money line, you'd be 21-3. and three. Yes, the Reds are 3-21 and 21 through 24 games. You would be up almost $1,000 at $993. The Reds have lost by two or more in 18 of 19 games. Hunter Green, their star prospect, hasn't gotten off to a great start his rookie season. He's got a six ERA with a one six one whip. He gave up four earned runs and walked four in his last start as he has struggled with control, even though he does have the elite strikeout stuff. And Adrian Hauser has been solid all season. He's coming off the start where he threw six scoreless against the Cubs. The edges are immense on both sides. Brewers, minus one and a half. It's a little juicy at minus 130, but why not? It's been free money. Make the Reds prove they can play competent baseball. So far, they haven't been able to do so. Also hoping for competent baseball from my Mariners, question mark, as they come home, um, because it's been brutal for your boy watching his team. Again, folks, that is why you email Hedge, so you can at least make some money on it. And that's going to do it for us here on this episode of Bet to Win. Thanks again to Nick Dace. I hope you all check out UFC 274. It's an amazing card. And Nick gave you his best bets Hopefully winning some money there. We'll see you on the other side of this weekend. It's going to be a fun one. Golf, F1 in Miami. UFC 274 and the NBA playoffs roll on. We'll see you on the other side right here on Bet to Win. <laughs> 